Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. What will success look like for you this year? What will success look like, do you think? What will you measure it by? Maybe it's a, a wedding, as I look around the room. Maybe it's going to college. Maybe it's a change in job or career. Maybe it's buying a house. What will success look like? How will you measure it? How did you measure last year? Was it a good year? And all those things I've mentioned are good things. And we pray they'll be happening. But I think, I think I've got a suggestion. There is one thing that's greater and better than all those. One question. One measurement. How well did you get to know Jesus last year? How, how much better are you getting to know him this year? I reckon that's probably the most important question, I think. Well, the most important measure, because as it says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Jesus. He is the fulfillment of them all. All God's promises find their yes in him. Colossians 2 verse 3, in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, he is, he's everything we need. He is peace. He's the most fundamental peace you could ever He brings joy, a joy that is much greater than any temporary thing we may have when we experience something or buy something. He brings salvation, forgiveness. Getting to know him is probably the best thing we can do for this year. But I don't know about you, I do find it a bit difficult to relate to somebody I can't physically see or touch. Am I the only one? Anyone else find it? Oh, that's encouraging. I mean, I'm sure all of us have sensed his presence this morning in worship. There's a spiritual sense. But how do you get to know someone you can't physically see or touch or feel? Well, we get to know him through prayer by the Spirit in the Word. And that's why we've come to this passage this morning. Because that is how we get to know Jesus. By the Spirit illuminating the revealed Word of God, which describes Him. So what I want us to do this morning, in this passage, is get to grips with how Jesus wants to relate to us. What He means to us. I want, to, I want the Holy Spirit to sow a seed that keeps growing through the whole of the season. So it's an interesting passage I, got, I just got drawn to unexpectedly. And it starts with two challenges. At least one of which is profoundly relevant to every single person. At least one of which is profoundly relevant to each of us. The challenges are don't drift and don't neglect. Remember it being in the passage? Don't drift and don't neglect. And we start with don't neglect. The writer is saying, don't neglect this great salvation because there is far too much at stake to neglect it. There's far too much at stake to come on Sunday and just think this is interesting. It isn't. It's much, much more important than that. 
And he, the writer, takes us back into the Old Testament to help us to begin to understand how God deals with people and what matters. And I think we probably, I don't know about you, but we're probably a bit poorer that we don't spend much time in the Old Testament, often in our reading. Because it's there that you begin to understand why this is so important. When you see the sacrificial system and the detail of it, when you see how God comes uh, in thunder and sometimes in judgment, you know, this stuff matters. So often I think we can sort of turn it into something just like, well, it's just another religion, or it's another way of living, or it's just to do with, you know, Jesus loves us with a great plan for our lives. It's true, but, but that's not what it's about. This is a cosmic battle between good and evil. This is a cosmic battle between sin and righteousness. This is a cosmic battle between God and the devil. And there is no neutral place. There isn't. We're on one side or the other. Every conflict and all the terrible conflicts we have in this world are actually only small reflections and outcomes of that conflict. Of how at the beginning of time, the edge of the universe was ripped by, by our sin and independence and something came in that is now wrecking havoc in our world and in lives. There's a cosmic battle. Which side are you on? There is no middle ground. And it is also a battle of eternal significance. Death isn't the end. Death is just the gateway to eternal life for every single human person on earth. People know that, don't they, actually? You just need to go to a, a funeral and people keep talking about, you know, they're, they're still looking down on us. Or, or people have a sense that it doesn't finish with death. It doesn't finish with death. It goes one of two ways. It goes to a place without God. We call it hell. It's a place where all something sucks out all joy, all peace, all love sucked out of it. It's not empty. It's just lacking everything that is meaningful. It's been sucked out. Or, or it's an eternal life we've got. Which is, fulfills everything you've ever dreamed about, but magnificently much more so. Full of glory, colour of life. And it goes on eternally. Just two. Yeah, no alternatives. No middle ground. So this matters. This is why the writer says, do not neglect this great salvation. Don't neglect it today. We've already heard in the worship and, and what people have said. There's a choice here. There's a choice to either follow Jesus and say, I have messed up my life. I, I can't run it myself. But I believe you can put it right if I follow you and say you're my Lord. That, that's the choice. And later on, at the end of the meeting, we're going to break bread together, share communion. If you don't know Jesus, then I, I don't suggest you take part, but I suggest you ask him to reveal himself to you. Because he does. He's living. He's active. He's real. He probably is ready to do that. And then I suggest you talk to someone and say, hey, I want to know this. Jesus. I want to make a decision. I realize I can't neglect this any longer. It's too important. So don't neglect. Too much is at stake to neglect this. For many of us, though, I suspect it's the other challenge, isn't it? 
Don't drift. You know what it's like to drift? I think I have in my life sometimes, where I just, just drifted with things. I've not really grown in God. And the problem is, uh, the, the word drifting here is used in the, in the sense of a boat. The problem is, if you're not going somewhere, you're drifting. And if you're drifting, you're going the wrong way. There is a current in this world that is not taking us in a good direction. So if we start to drift, we don't stay in the same place. We start to go in the wrong direction. So he's saying here, don't drift. And Terry talked last week about the analogy of sailing. When he was talking about the Spirit. And it's a very good picture of the Christian life, isn't it? The two most common words used for the Holy Spirit are what? Just check someone's away. What are the two most common pictures used for the Holy Spirit? Wind and fire. They're both powerful. They're both... We can't create either, really. They're both unpredictable. There are great descriptions of who the Holy Spirit is, how we can understand them. And wind is, is probably one of the most primary ones. And the wind is powerful. Have you tried standing on a, on a hill when the wind's really blowing and you've been blowing it, Stephen, and you've been almost blown off it? Wind is enormously powerful. And the Christian life is about power. And the church is a place of power. I think it was John Stott said, if the church is not a place of power, it's nothing. So the Holy Spirit brings power. Wind. But I don't know if you've ever sailed. Um, who's sailed? Who in a sailing boat. Okay. Let's forget they sometimes have motors now, because they do. But they didn't used to. The people used to sail all around the world without a motor, just in the power of the wind. But it wasn't just that, was it? They had to learn how to hoist the sails. Without the ability to hoist the sails, put the right sail up, put it in the right way, you're not going anywhere. So, the power of God, the Holy Spirit is like a wind. And the degree to which He changes and helps our lives is to do with how we put up sails. Okay, it's a fairly simple picture, but I think it's a very profound and biblical picture. Philippians chapter 2 says, Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to do His will and purpose. So work out. Put up and trim the sails. God is at work, the Spirit is blown. How do we put up the sails? There's a lovely quote I read recently. We create our habits, and then our habits create us. Think about that for a minute. We create our habits, good ones and the bad ones, and then our habits create us. We're going to look at this in more depth later in the year. We call this Spiritual disciplines. We might find a better phrase. <laughs> but that's the historic phrase. The things we do, the habits we want to get into that are pulling up the sails. This is a habit coming here on Sunday. You're putting up a big sail, I reckon. Spending time praying on our own and with other people like Wednesday. We end up another sail. Reading the Word of God regularly, daily. 
These are the things that catch the wind. These are the things that will help us get to know Jesus better. And we're all different in this respect. So just one point on all of this. Don't think you're going to copy anybody else. So often you can read a good book on prayer and think, oh, I must do that. Whatever they say, you try and, and you can't and you feel doubly bad because you couldn't even do what they recommended. Oh, it's like journaling. You'll hear Daniel talk about journaling endlessly. And I think journaling is wonderful. I can't do it. I hate it. Just can't do it. So I've had to come to peace with the fact that, that works for him, doesn't work for me. So it's, it's unique. Your sales are your sales. Well, as I say, we'll look at that more as we go into the year. There's one other thing, though, that boats need, apart from sales. There's one other really important thing for the motor. There's a rudder, I was thinking something, that was good, but that wasn't what I was thinking, sorry. <laughs> there is one other thing. It's anchor, thank you. It is actually the most important thing. You never go out your boat without an anchor. Because if you do, and the wind is too strong, you're lost. And also, if there's no wind, you're just trapped. Our anchor is to trust God. The story of Nikki and my wife and the aunt's lives, I think part of it is growing an anchor. It's getting, it's growing in a sense of trust. Whatever happens, don't need to understand it always. Often you can't. Don't need to work it out. You put the anchor in that says, God, I trust you. Doesn't make sense. Hurts. Don't understand. But I've chosen to put the anchor in. Have you got an anchor? Because I can tell you you'll need it. I'm sorry, this is one of the promises you don't want to hear, but I promise you, you will have challenges, difficulties, pain, and suffering. Sorry, but that is. The anchor is a relationship with God of trust. That whatever happens, I can see some of my friends smiling at me with the things they've been through. That choice, put the anchor down. And you can also put it down as I say, when nothing seems to be happening. There are periods of life like that, huh? Where you know, God seems just a bit distant, nothing much is happening. If you don't put the anchor down, you drift with the currents of the world. So that's like the introduction that the writer wanted to have. Don't neglect, don't drift. Then he takes us into this wonderful explanation of who we are and how Jesus wants to relate to us. And he starts with Psalm 8 in the Old Testament, with those, I don't know, I find these really evocative words. This is speaking to God. What is man that you are mindful of? And the son of man that you care for? It's a question. You know, God Almighty, God created the universe. What on earth? What is man that you even think about us? And when it says son of man, that actually still means man. It's just it's talking still about us. Why do you even want to care? Why do you care? I mean, he created the universe. He's so far, and he's righteous and we're not, and he's powerful and we're not. He doesn't need us. Why does he care? It's a really challenging, interesting phrase. Well, the writer goes on to unpack this and says there are three reasons, three things about us that are important. One is we're created 
a little lower than angels. Or even it could mean we created lower than angels from infinite. It's a remarkable statement. We don't think about angels very much. Can you think about angels? Not sure I do. We did it with John's work. It was great fun a few weeks ago. Angels are amazing. They exist. They are powerful. They are glorious. They're often messengers of God, but they also do powerful things. Spiritual beings, created before the foundation of the world. You and I are a little bit. No, And only for a period. It says God did not create the world for angels to rule over. He created it for us to rule over. So that's the first thing it says. Secondly, our destiny is one of the Glory and honor. That's what it says in Psalm 8. That's what you and I were created for glory and for honor. You're going to have a coronation on that. You know? When we get to heaven, there's going to be a crown for each of us. It's amazing. What will be it? Oh, this is a complete sunlight for a second. Let me see as Lewis, he says, when you get that crown, there'll be jewels in it. And the jewels will be the things in other people that you have encouraged your heart. Isn't that beautiful? So we're going to be crowned. I mean, in this country, last year, there was a wonderful coronation. And how many of you watched it? We watched it. Probably a number of people did on television. And the pageantry was incredible, wasn't it? Or, or, and, and, and the service and all the various bits of it and swords and scepters and prayers and anointing oil all the way from Jerusalem and so on. It was glorious. You haven't seen nothing yet. What we will experience in heaven is far greater and more glorious than that. So glory and honor is our destiny. And thirdly, we have a calling even now, which is to exercise dominion over creation. Those are strong words. Exercise dominion. What does it tell us? It tells us two really important things, I think, for this world at the moment. It tells us first and foremost, we are not part of nature. We're created by God separately in the image of God. Nothing else was created in the image of God. By the Spirit of God. Nothing else had God's Spirit moved in. I don't know how you work out your whole creation evolution, but what is really important is we are not part of nature. And that changes so many things. That, that speaks right into all the big issues about what is human now, how does AI relate to being human. Whenever you say somebody say, well, we behave like this because we were once uh, monkeys, I take that with a big pinch of salt. We're different. Otherwise, we just, you know, we behave like this because we were once in one single ceremony. Doesn't really help. So, first point, we're different. Second point is we are responsible for creation. Dominion means to steward, to look up. As Christians, we should be at the forefront of protecting this planet. We should be at the forefront of dealing with pollution. We should be at the forefront because that's what we were meant for. What the whole of mankind was made for. It's probably partly why so many people are stirred by this issue, because somewhere in them they know that's what we were made for, to look after this world well. So, no wonder the writer goes on to say, yet at present we don't see everything in submission to It's 
not surprise when you look at the politics of this world and war. When you look at the economics of this world and injustice and starvation. When you look at societies and families broken apart. When you look at all the damage that is done to creation. We don't see it, do we? We're far, far from what we've been called to do as humanity. The world is a mess. And if we're honest, we don't need to rule ourselves very well, do we? We end up doing stuff we really don't want to do. I don't think we should. We end up not doing stuff that actually we feel we really should. We can't even really rule ourselves. So what's the answer? What's the answer to this year with this dilemma? It's four words. But we see Jesus. That's what he goes on to say. That's how he turns the whole thing. And we looked at Psalm 8 and the message of the says, what's the answer for you and me? What are we, how are we going to handle this this year? How are we going to handle dealing with all the tragedies we see around us in our own lives and in the world? Well, we see Jesus. And that's what this passage is about. He then explains how that makes a difference. And that's what we're going to spend a few minutes on before we finish. So first of all, he talks about how actually that Psalm 8, it refers to Jesus as well. Often that happens in the Old Testament. Something is written about that's relevant and real for then, but it also looks ahead. It's a picture of something. So, firstly, for a little while, Jesus was voluntary. Voluntarily made himself learn the nature. That's what he did. We read about it also in Philippians 2. That great early hymn of the church, who being in the nature of God, did not consider quality with God to be grasped. The, the difference, the gap between the creator of the universe and angels is enormous. It's, it's enormous. One is the creator who is who makes everything, who doesn't depend on everything, who sustains everything, who can be everywhere, who knows everything. And the other is an angel. Yeah, powerful supernatural being. Jesus went all the way down below angels so that he could identify with you and me. So that there was that complete identification, completely with us. He made himself lower than the angels. You know, there's angels who say in his birth to the shepherds, he made himself lower than them. The reason? So that when we say Christ in us, it can work. Because he came like us. He lowered himself so much that he can live in us and we can live in him because he became human. He came all that way down. Secondly, it says in this passage, he suffered death. In fact, it doesn't just say that. It says he tasted death. He didn't just die. He experienced the humiliation degradation, the pain of death. Completely. That's the cup I think he was referring to when God the Gethsemane, Jesus was talking to his father, about take this cup from him. He knew he wasn't just going to die, he was going to taste death. And in that tasting, he paid the price of everything you and I have done wrong. The wages of sin is death. He cancelled it. 
He dealt with it. And also beyond that, he destroyed the one behind that. The passage here talks about how the world is imprisoned in fear of death. It is actually. I think our society is driven by fear of death. Well, Jesus destroyed it because he took away the sting of death. Because he tested it fully, completely, and totally. For you and for me. And then the other thing that happens to him, most important thing, is that he's crowned with glory and honor. I think the crowning happened at the cross. <coughs> I think it was at the cross when he won that victory that he was crowned. I think there was a second coronation when he went to heaven, as Terry was talking about last week, and, and the Holy Spirit was poured out, and gifts were poured out. And but it was in the cross that he won the victory. And it's true for us, I think. Sometimes our crowns come at the point of greater suffering. We are called to follow a suffering Jesus. But that's where we will find all. And then lastly, how should we then see him? Four ways. Four ways he wants to meet with you and me this year. In this passage. First of all, he is the author of our salvation. The Bible says, we've been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. It's an ongoing process. That salvation, he is still the author of, for you and for me, every day of our lives. Unless we make of them, he is the author of our salvation. Yeah, you're allowed to say that. Sorry, I'm going a bit fast for the Pentecostals, aren't I? <laughs> Secondly, he is a lovely picture, the captain of our salvation. Did you notice that? He's the captain. What does that mean? Well, it means he didn't just win it all and go and sit in heaven and look down on us and say, you know, I've done it all for you, get on with it. He's the captain of our salvation. He is here in the fight. He's a captain who leads from the front. He's alongside you. He's alongside me, stirring us, encouraging us like captains do. I was thinking about this in the service, and I was remembering years ago I was in the army, and uh, I was in the, in the period of the Falklands War. Uh, there was a battle early on in the war where two parrots, second parachute regiment, were pinned down at New Screen and were losing, and it was a key critical point. And the Colonel, Colonel H. Jones, and his adjutant Simon Barry, just just decided they're going to have to charge and charge the. They took the lead. They were both mortally wounded, and you signed the in the process. But by what they did, they took out the machine gun post that was holding everything up, and the rest of the battle actually very quickly. And actually, another Christian, Chris Keeble, took over the battalion, and the battle was over Because he led from the front. I'm going to catch him like that. Don't you? He was alongside us, encouraging us in the battle. He is your captain this year. He's my captain this year. And he's a captain who's been given power to lead us from here, this point, all of creation through to glory. That's where he's going. Thirdly, well, this is amazing. He's proud to call us brothers and sisters. Billy mentioned this in her prayer. Three times. The author picks out a verse in the Old Testament and says, Jesus is your only brother. 
That's amazing. Who, who here has had an older brother? Say again. Oh, lots of people. I'm sure it wasn't a completely good experience. But I wish I'd had an older brother. Someone who would stand up for me in the playground. Someone who would look out for me in the chapel. Someone who knew me really well uh, and accepted me. Someone who I could share family stories with. You know, Jesus is your reminder, bro. He's just like that. Isn't that amazing? The intimacy of it. I can see why the writer stresses it three times. We have an older brother in Jesus. And he's with you all through this year. And if you want to know him better, think about him as an older brother. And then lastly, he is our high priest. Someone who stands between us with all our frailty and weakness, and he stands between us and he stands between our And when we mess up, I don't know about you, I do, when we mess up, he makes it right. He's our high priest. He actually prays for us the whole time. It says he intercedes for us. But I think the most amazing thing about this high priest, and this is what the author picks out, is he is a, has a unique combination of mercy and righteousness. He's merciful because he's been there. It says somewhere else, there is no temptation common to man that Jesus has not experienced. So he's compassionate and merciful. We can sometimes think, um, what temptation to Jesus? Was that a big deal? Well, yes, because he resisted temptation purely in his human nature. He did not, as it were, cheat and become God and say, I'm not interested. No, he resisted all temptation in his human He experienced the temptation to despair. He experienced the temptation to go and uh, do, do things that made him feel happy for a period. He experienced all the temptations you and I. And I, I don't quite grasp this, but the passage suggests that they were even worse for him because he was sinless. Nothing you and I meet, he hasn't gone through that. An experience, so he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. But he's also completely righteous. He is the Holy One. He, he's never sinned. He has all the glory of the Trinity and Sunset. So he can do this amazing thing of, because he's merciful and righteous, he can bring us to God. So I don't know what your years will be like. Can I say to you? See Jesus. But we see Jesus. See him as the one who has saved you and continues to save you. See him as the captain who's with you in whatever battles you're in, leading you in the battles, suffering alongside. See him as, as the one who is that wonderful old brother, who is part of the same family as you. He's not it's like a parent up there. He's a brother. He's an older brother being with you. See him as the great. 